Hey everybody, this is Tom Singer. It is Thanksgiving week, and I hope that you have lots of things to be thankful for. We really appreciate everyone who tunes in and listens to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So this week, instead of two episodes, we're going to release seven episodes. That's one show every day for all of Thanksgiving week. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to the show. Whether today is the first time you've ever listened to an episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, or if you've joined us for several episodes, thanks for being here. Today, uh, today's episode is sponsored by the Executive Press Division of New Year Publishing. Little disclaimer, I am involved with New Year Publishing. They publish all my books and I own part of the company. But the Executive Press Division specializes in assisting CEOs, entrepreneurs, and other executives in producing high-quality, industry-focused publications that enhances the brand of the author and their company. You can find out more information about New Year Publishing at newyearpublishing.com. So let's jump into today's episode. I am really, really happy that we have Misty Williams with us. Misty is a marketing strategist, and she is the founder of Marketect U. And she's the author of Mobilize, Blaze Your Path and Ignite Your Influence. She started her career in artist management in Nashville before founding her own company. And we're going to talk a little bit about today about making that jump from working you know, for a company, starting your own company, shifting a little bit in the industries that you cover, etc. So Misty, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that shift from working from someone else to starting your own business? Wow. Well, that shift happened for me a while ago. Um, I moved to Nashville right after college. So, um, of course, you can't go to Nashville and not somehow get tickled by the whole music industry bug. And, you know, I was just this enthusiastic 23-year-old, I think I was 23 at the time, who landed in this city that was full of so much creative energy. I mean, it just, it lights you on fire, even if you're not looking for it or, you know, uh, striving for it. There are a lot of people, as you probably know, that go to Nashville that are kind of chasing that whole music industry thing. But I went to Nashville um, actually to take advantage of an opportunity I had to do some missions work. So once I was there, um, I kind of got swept into all of the creativity and started working with artists. Um, the last job that I had, I was managing an artist who was also a pastor of a church. So um, I handled the side of his business that related to him traveling and speaking and singing and selling CDs and, you know, all of that sort of thing. So the kind of the product side. Um, and it was awesome. And it got to the point for me where I just felt like I was an oak tree in a flower pot. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs probably relate to that, you know, feeling that there's more inside you that you want to give and you're not finding the opportunities that um, you feel like will really help you unlock and unleash whatever it is that's inside of you, you know. So I went on my own. I was young. I was 20. 26 years old. I freelanced for several, probably about four years, um, got into artist management, managed a couple of artists um, in Nashville. One of the artists that I managed, Travis Meadows, is a hit songwriter today. And in fact, Jake Owen has cut um, one of his songs for his latest single. And, you know, he's doing amazing. So I kind of look back at this trajectory of my life and, you know, people that crossed my paths and where I am now. And I still do stuff to support 
Travis, but being in that industry and around those people really molded and shaped my own creativity and kind of set the trajectory from my entire career. So um, it was a blast. I loved it. And after about four years, I realized I was never going to make any money <laughs> managing <laughs> artists. Yes, money money is an important part to having a business. It is, and especially when you're like, I'm not 25 anymore. <laughs> you know, I want to I want to work this hard and make money. That the thing about Nashville that is amazing to me, some of the hardest working people, they work so so hard and they're all broke. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's unbelievable, but it's like this this passion really is awakened in you when you're working in a creative field like that and you just want to see whatever it is that's kind of captured your imagination you want to see it flourish you know and you're really willing to do whatever it takes well i love i love your analogy of feeling like an oak tree in a flower <sighs> pot i mean yes. that that really i think a lot of people who listen to this show are you know working in a job where they really feel like they're being called to do something on their own they, they want to go start their own business they're not sure what it is and i think that analogy that you used just summed it up for so many of our listeners so let's talk a little bit more about that how how did that feel and, and how did you make that leap um for me it, it felt it felt suffocating actually um there was so much more that i wanted to do in the job that i was in and ways that i wanted to contribute you know i was young so i was still kind of getting in touch with what I was capable of, you know? And I, after a while, when you feel like you just want to grow beyond where you are and, and you hope that your current, op current opportunity will give you the chance to do that. And it doesn't. And it's a very suffocating feeling after a while. Now, me making the leap to go on my own, it was courage and ignorance, honestly. Like, I look back now and... I'm going to be 40 next year, so I'm in a completely, obviously, different place in my life now. But I look back on it, and I just, it's like, what was I thinking? I was fortunate because I was single, I didn't have a family, and I didn't have debt outside of student loans. So I didn't have a lot of responsibility that would keep me from taking a big risk like that. Um, but it would have been nice, like, if I could have planned the perfect trajectory for my career, I would still love to be in the place that I'm in now. But it would have been so awesome if some professional environments would have given me more of an opportunity to explore so that, you know, I would have been in a place where it wasn't as, it wasn't as risky and it would have given me more immediate opportunities. Some of the opportunities that I wanted, I had to wait for for years because when you're on your own, you know, you're, you're still have, have to be hired by someone. And the someone that hires you has to be at a certain place where they can give you certain opportunities, you know? Well, and I think I think that we all really kind of feel that when we've worked for ourselves for a while is I wish I could go back and, and change that trajectory. I really like where I am. But your comment about, you know, feeling suffocated, you know, how brave of you at 25 or 26 just to say I feel suffocated and make the leap. Many people like myself hold on to the corporate job until they're into their 40s or beyond. Right. Well, you know, here's a situation that I was in. I don't normally talk about this, actually, but it really kind of aligns with how this conversation is going. One of the things that I realized for me in Nashville, being in the South, I felt like a lot of opportunities were withheld from me because I was a woman. And I did not want to live my life and build my career with those kind of limitations around me. And rather than be staying in the situation and being frustrated about it and you know getting bitter or resentful, I felt like I would rather take the risk and blaze my own trail and go on my own and figure it out. You know, I had just read Rich Dad Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki's book, and you know, he talks about 
the, the big difference between those who are rich and those who are not is really your mindset. It's how you think. And I was doing a bunch of Tony Robbins stuff at the time. I still do Tony Robbins stuff. I love them. So those, those two camps really influenced me because I realized that I come from a family of, of worker bees. You know, my parents know how to hold, hold a job and, you know, kind of work for the man, so to speak. And my dad, I watched him all through the 80s. Every time there was a recession, which there was a lot in the 80s, the economy was all over the place. He's a design engineer. So when, when there's a recession, everyone stops innovating and all the design engineers get laid off. Right. So I watched him go through that over and over and over. So I was feeling at 25 like I can't depend on a, an employer for my career. You know, I can't depend on them for an opportunity. Opportunity is going to be withheld from me because I'm a woman. I don't know if I would have that belief today, but that's how I felt at 25. Um, well, and I think the world is different now than it was it 15 years ago. So I think that is probably, it, there was probably some very big truth in that. But as the father of two daughters, I don't feel like my daughters are going to face those same limitations that a lot of people so talk about. It's beautiful how it's shifting, Tom. My daughter it's, was talking about like for her college applications and we were talking about some different things and you know, she got talking about how the glass ceiling didn't seem real to her that, you know, she looks to people like, you know, the, the, the women who've run all these big companies now that anyone can become CEO. She doesn't see it as, as sort of a, a, a limit. Yeah. And it's interesting. I read, uh, last year I read Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, which I loved. Um, I actually kind of travel in some circles with some academics who are a little critical of her book, but I, I thought it was powerful and fabulous. I actually did a book club with my entire team because most of my team is Gen Y women. So um, we read that book and I called one of my colleagues who is in Houston. Her name's Ann Perel. She's a speaker um, in Houston. And I asked her to come in and speak to my, the book club and everyone was enraptured because Ann is in her 70s. And she explained to all the girls in the room what it was like to be a woman in the late 60s, early 70s trying to find a job. And I don't know if you've seen the movie 9 to 5. And, you know, there was just there was so much crap that women had to deal with, you know, 70s, 80s, moving into the workplace. I mean, we just like even I realized that the world I was born into is so different than what my mom experienced and my grandmother experienced. The opportunities that I have are so different. I mean, I, I feel inspired by it. And I also feel like because I know the story of where we came from, that it's really important as women that we, that we know that story and that we appreciate that we are standing on the shoulders of amazing women who made incredible sacrifices so that we have the opportunities that we have today. You know, I would not have made, made the leap if it weren't for my mother. Well, and, you know, you bring up the fact that, you know, you know some people who are critical of, of Sheryl Sandborn's book, you know, and I'm always reminded when that something like that comes up that, well, so-and-so is an academic and they were critical of this or that or so-and-so believes this. You know, I'm reminded of Teddy Roosevelt's quote about the man in the arena, that yes. it's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out the strong where the strong man stumbles or where mm -hmm. the doer of deeds could have done them better. And it goes on to talk about that it's the person who's in the arena the people who's out there slugging at the counts, we can we can knock people down and criticize them all day long. But I love the fact that, you know, she has this wildly successful career and this wildly successful book that is impacting not just women, but men as well. Sure. And then there are people who go, well, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I know, you know, right? she's out there doing it. Let's not let's not rip her apart. She is. And, you know, there's some things there's some real subtle programming for women. Um 
that we still need to become more conscious of, and I still see remnants of it in Gen Y, you know, um, where they they don't necessarily lean in to opportunity, especially once they get married and think about having a family. Women tend to hold back a little bit because um, because they're thinking about what, you know, the I don't want to take on too much responsibility with the company that I'm not going to be able to fulfill, you know, because I'm thinking about starting a family. And there's just a lot of ways that we hold back because of old programming, you know. And, you know, Cheryl talks about, um, women being more confident about taking a seat at the table and uses a lot of her own experiences going into these boardrooms with these really powerful people and how they'll come in with the women who are their right and left arm and these women will go sit on the sidelines. And she, Cheryl has always had to work so hard to get women to sit at the table and it's just because of how we show up in the world. We're the nurturers, we're community oriented. That same striving for a spotlight on us just isn't there like it is for men, not all women, but a lot of women, you know? So the important thing to me about the book is that it just makes some things conscious. So we can be more conscious about how we make choices. There's nothing wrong with, with stepping away from our career. I support women in making whatever decision they want to make in their life to create the life of their dreams. Whatever that looks like, just be conscious of the choices that you're making, you know? So my co-author for the book uh, that I wrote called uh, Some Assembly Required, A Networking Guide for Women, she uh-huh. always says that women have, her name's Marnie Lifshin, and she said that women have spent 40 years fighting for the right to make choices, and then we knock each other down when they choose something different than we want. Right. It's true. We have a ways to go still. We so, have a ways to go. But that's why Cheryl's work is so important. You know, it's starting conversations. I mean, my entire team, we had all these conversations, you know, about how we're showing up, and, you know, the, I mean, I have... I have a guy on my team, right, who I told him when I hired him, if you learn X, Y, and Z, then I'll, I'll bump your rate. I'll give you a raise. I told that to the girls, too. He is, the guy came back to me several times over the next few months to ask me about that raise. Right, he's, girls, and he's going and doing the homework and doing yes, what you're asking him to the do. girls would go and learn it and do it, but they would never bring up the raise. Oops. You know, be, there's just, it's things like that that we, we haven't quite modeled for each other how to do that comfortably. And to be supportive of each other in doing it. You know, I'll actually go to the women because I know how we are and remind them and let's, we're going to go ahead and raise your rate. <laughs> I take initiative with a lot of women on my team, you know, to, to talk about the raise and the promotions and different things like that because they, on their own, they, they may not ever bring it up and I want them to be celebrated and appreciated and I want them to make what they're worth, you know? Well, and I hope that my daughters get to see that. We have, you know, a lot of friends who work for themselves. My wife and I both work for ourselves and I hope that, uh, you know, they get to see the fact that if you want something in life, you have to go out and take the bull by the horns and, and make it happen. That's right. That's right. I think it's becoming more and more acceptable for women to be like that. And it's really inspiring. I'm excited to see what the next 10, 20 years looks like for us. So Misty, you've kind of, you know, cleared your own path for the last 15 years or so. What is it that you love about being an entrepreneur and working for yourself? Oh, wow. I mean, there's so many things, you know, personally, like outside of just, I love my work and I love what I do. I love my clients. You know, my calling in life is supporting people and actualizing their full potential in the world. That's what if, if you were to strip everything away, that's what drives me every day. I love marketing. I love communication. I love business. I do all of those things in my day job. But for me, they're just a catalyst to support people, you know. So um, so from a professional perspective, that's what drives me. But, you know, personally, and I'm a Gen Xer in this way. I know there's a lot of Gen Xers that share these values. I wanted freedom and flexibility. I wanted to have a I didn't want to have to choose between 
you know, exploring and traveling and, you know, working at home or working in an office. I, I wanted to have some autonomy over my own schedule. And, you know, I've, I've been lucky. I take trips to see friends and I can be gone for two weeks and work during the day and spend time with them. And I have friends all over the country. I went to a small college in Springfield, Missouri, and 75% of the students were from outside the state of Missouri. So I literally got friends everywhere. And it's awesome to be able to to travel like I travel to go back home to see my family in Oklahoma City um, and, you know, spend 10 days with them. And I can do that a couple of times a year. You know, it's things like that that are really juicy for me. And, you know, just during the day, having some autonomy over how I schedule my day and when I work, you know. And being I, able to do something like jump on my podcast at the right. last minute when I called and That's said, how about today? Yes, yes. I mean, those are little things. I mean, every time that happens, I, I feel the blessing in it. You know, I feel it, especially when I talk to my mom and she's, she is a boomer worker, man. She works eight to six, always works overtime, works really hard. She doesn't make what she's worth, la, 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 la. And I'll ask her to do stuff. Mom, why don't we do this? Or I'll come in for this. Can you see, see if they'll let you do four 10-hour days so you can take Friday off or see if they'll let you do and I'll throw out all these. And she can't do any of it. And she doesn't even want to ask, yeah. you know? And I, it just makes me feel grateful, really grateful that somehow the universe opened up a door for me, you know, and, and has honored how hard I've worked. I feel blessed and fortunate. And I mean, it, it really lights me up. It's very humbling to think about. So Misty, you're blessed and you're fortunate and you like the freedom, but what parts of it don't you like? There's gotta be something where you shake your head and think, you know, I could have a job like my mom and I wouldn't have to deal with any of this. <laughs> oh, we can make a list. <laughs> we can make a list. You know, the thing about owning your own business, especially when you're just starting out, is you have to wear all the hats and you're not good at wearing some of the hats, you know? So it's really frustrating to like keeping up with your bookkeeping, for example. Um, I have someone that handles all that for me now, but there was a time that I needed to handle it myself. Wink, wink. We know that I did not do a very good job of that. <laughs> well, um, most of us, most of us get into working for ourselves because we have a passion and we're driven and there's things we want to do and there's things we're great at. And then there's accounting or yeah. the marketing or, right you know, the client services or whatever it is, the piece of it where you go, really? I didn't remember this part. I, know. I didn't know I was signing up for that. That's exactly why I have the, the architect team, by the way, is because I know all of my clients in this space have the same frustration. It, it's, there's, they're good at what they're good at, but there's all these other things that need to be done. And I would do this great, amazing strategy work with people in the beginning around, you know, how to show up in the marketplace and how to communicate. And we build amazing tools and you know, go out and do X, Y, and Z, and the wheels would fall off the bus when they would go to execute because it is so hard to wear all the hats. And even if you have the skills and aptitude to wear the hats, shifting gears between stuff like that, it's brutal. And for my niche, which Tom, you obviously know this really well, I work with a lot of speakers and coaches and consultants that travel a lot. So it's almost like you're also managing this time warp. Because when you go on the road, you have to be really present for what's happening in front of you and everything else can kind of get pushed to the side, you know? Well, you have to be present for the job that you're hired to do while you're on the road. So in my case, it's being the keynote speaker or being the master of ceremonies, sometimes for very large corporate or association conferences 
or it's doing training where I'm inside a law firm for like a whole day working with different, you know, practice groups. So you have to be connected and on for that particular client. But then you also have to do things like answer your emails and send out (laughs) contracts to the next client. And the other thing I find is that when I'm on the road, people think, oh, well, you have all this downtime because you don't have all the other distractions. I find I'm not even good with time management when I'm on the road. When I'm at home, I am. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing, too, is like you don't always know, like travel arrangements aren't always certain. If you're meeting, if you're meeting someone for lunch or if you have lunch on your own, you know what I'm saying? There's all these other little details, too, that keep you on your toes. (laughs) Well, Um, just managing the airlines and the hotels and making sure that I've made reservations. Right, right. So it's a lot trying to manage all that. So that's really hard. And, you know, I go through in my business what all of us go through, and that is the cash flow waves, you know. There's times in my business that I am soaring high. I'm doing awesome. And then there's times that shifts happen in the marketplace or your client load shifts, and all of a sudden it's like the creek is dry, (laughs) you know. And how do we fix this? And the way that you fixed it two years ago or three years ago is obsolete now because the world has changed so much. Right, and it's always changing. Always changing. I mean, it is always, in, in my work, you know, I'm kind of, my job is to stay on top of this stuff. And I feel like I just barely stay ahead of the curve sometimes. These people that are out there, you know, that wear the marketing hat that claim all this expertise around all these new modalities, I just want to cackle. <laughs> you know? Because it's like, come on, this has been around. How do we, it takes five or 10 years to master anything. Things aren't even around long enough for someone to reach the level of mastery before you move on to something else. It's amazing. But, you know, the flip side of the coin, as you know, is that these new things come online all the time, like a podcast, for example, doing the whole podcasting thing that like give us opportunities that we've never had before. And it's it's fast. It's accessible. It doesn't cost a lot of money to do it. So it's just the nature of the world we live in, you know. Well, and this podcast, you know, sort of came about. I looked at doing it for around a year and then I jumped into it and I really wasn't sure if I was going to like it. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to manage the time. And now I'm having so much fun. I wish I was doing it more often than, you know, a couple days a week. And I'm getting to really find that my podcast is one of the best networking tools I've ever found in my whole career. And, you know, to let you in on a secret, that's what I teach people is how to engage with others. And this podcast has been the best vehicle I've ever found for not only engaging better to find out more about my guests and to meet people who I want to bring on the show, but also the audience, people who tweet me or send me emails. I really didn't expect that type of engagement. Awesome. See, that's as you we, we talked earlier today about the fact that I'm starting um, a podcast, too, and all the things you said are the reasons why the juiciest part of my work is the conversations getting one-on-one with someone and unpacking what's going on in their business and where they want to go and just talking it through and doing the strategy around that and getting really real and nitty gritty. I mean, that for me is the funnest, most fulfilling part of my job. And a podcast gives us a way to share that. You know, if you're a connector like you and I are, we love the conversations and engaging and people and everything else. It's just the perfect channel. So Misty, Let's say that someone's listening to this episode and and they're really, really captivated by what you're saying, but maybe there's someone like you and I who came from a family that our parents weren't entrepreneurs. They didn't have this ongoing example of taking risks and, you know, doing it all yourself. And let's say that they sort of feel suffocated or stifled by their job. What's one piece of advice you would give them so that they could take that leap? Invest in your own education. Go on. Tell me more. It's the hardest part of this, I think, whenever... For me, and of course it started for me pretty young, but I see it in a lot of my friends who are not entrepreneurial. 
that like, for example, I was 26 years old. I went to Tony Robbins Unleash the Power Within weekend. It was $695 for the, for the ticket to go. Plus you've got to pay for your travel and hotel and everything else. And I think when employees a lot of time have the mentality that their employer should pay for that stuff or someone else should give them that perk, you know? And I started working, I mean, I had a meager budget back then, but I started working my own personal development into the budget. And it's, it's really what helped me to shift because it's not enough to want to be an entrepreneur. Desire is not enough. You, you really do have to change the way you think. You really do have to change the way you show up in the world, you know? So I, to this day, I am still a personal development junkie. And most of my entrepreneurial friends are too. No, I agree. Most of my friends who are out there kind of blazing their own trail, that's exactly right. They're, they're constantly going to seminars. They're participating in events. And just within the speaker world, there's people who tell me all the time, well, I can't really go to the National Speakers Association annual conference because it's expensive or it's on the other side of the country. And right. yet I've been six years in a row and, and I now can afford it. But when I started this business, I couldn't afford right. that. And it, it was, it was well over, you know, $1,000 by the time you add up the fee and the travel and the hotel. Right. And, the, and the first year I went, I didn't know anybody, so I couldn't even share a room with anybody. You know, it was expensive. And right. yet I've learned things from being there. But of course, for me, the biggest thing is the, the relationships I've built with other people who are out there, you know, fighting the good fight every day. Oh, totally. And it's because of that investment in, in that organization and several others that I participated in where I've really seen, you know, my career boost. And so I agree with you that that personal, you know, commitment to growing yourself, however you do it. And nowadays, you know, unlike when you and I started nowadays, you know, if you can't afford to go to Tony Robbins, guess what? There's a lot of free Tony Robbins out there on the internet. He has stuff out there. The stuff he was teaching 15 years ago, he now has on on downloadable, you know, it's either inexpensive or free. So you can go out and listen to the old stuff and what people go, well, but that's his old stuff. It's still, oh, so good. And it worked 15 years ago. A lot of it will work now in that mindset and things like that. So they can listen to podcasts like this one and so many others that can really get them motivated. I mean, maybe you're the guest that one person needed to hear today. And they thought, hmm, cool things entrepreneurs do. That makes sense. I bet they're going to talk to an entrepreneur about something cool they're doing. (laughs) And Misty Williams is the guest. And and they, too, felt the same drawbacks as you. And so if they they hadn't logged on, if they hadn't downloaded this podcast, they might have missed that. So Mm -hmm. you never know where you're going to find that piece of inspiration. So I think that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's the best advice I got, too. Sure. Now, Misty, we could talk about you all day long, and that would be delightful because you are fantastic. (laughs) However, I think the best entrepreneurs are observers. So who do you see out there in the world doing something else that's really cool? Okay, well, I have two things. You you can have two. Yes. The first one is I think what you're doing is really cool. That's why I called you. Like, I love what you're doing with cool things that entrepreneurs do and how you've kind of taken that leap and – put all this together and the way it fits in your business. So, I mean, that's the first bell that rings for me is, you know, you're such a great example of that. Thank you. Um, Yeah, yeah. And I have a client. Her name's Karen McCullough. We just launched her new website and she has this series that she's been doing for years. Okay, first of all, Karen is a speaker and um, Karen's primary revenue stream is speaking. So a lot of speakers, if you're not in this industry, um, make their money from other revenue streams besides speaking. Speaking is just one of their revenue streams. So Karen is, you know, pretty much 100% of her income comes from speaking. She's got a little bit from product every now and then, but it's mostly speaking. And she, when she started, 
she had people sign up for her mailing list. This is something that I think spe speakers can really drop the ball on, not building their list. She had people sign up for their mailing list and she got an idea a year or two ago to create these videos and she calls them Lessons from the Road. She and I had a conversation about what Lessons from the Road is and what it does for her. We didn't end up doing a lot of really fun branding for it, but basically what she does is when she's out there in the trenches, and Tom, you can relate to this, she's actually in the trenches working with people, working with clients, having all these conversations. She comes away with so much inspiration and all these like success nuggets, you know, and she's always on the outside. So she sees the problems that people are having. And it's a lot easier whenever you're not in the mess to be able to see your way through the mess, you know. So she took all that wisdom back and she puts it into these videos sends these videos out to her list, which is people in her audiences, meeting planners. I mean, it's not really even a, it's not a list that is segmented, really. It's all of them together. And her clients, a lot of her clients will play these videos in their monthly meetings. They'll play them in, you know, smaller employee meetings around certain topics, share them with each other. And it keeps them really engaged with her and her platform and her content. And it has driven so much business for her. And I just think it's so brilliant because that's not a typical way in marketing circles anyway that I hear people talking about growing your business. People don't really talk about the YouTube channel in that way, but, but she's done it and I think it's brilliant and you know, she's gangbusters right now. She's made so many smart moves and the, the YouTube channel is a great idea, but I think underneath it, it's this idea of always building your list, always building your list. Well, and they say that, you know, you, you cannot replace the power of having a really good list. So I agree. I think that's great. Yeah. So Misty, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Wow. Well, as you know, I just moved to Austin from Nashville. And welcome. Austin is a better place because we now have <laughs> you, you here. Thank you. I'm Austin's welcome. gain, Nashville's loss is Austin's gain. <laughs> So I've actually been asking myself this question a lot because I, I feel like I try to show up in a space that's contributing all the time. You know, I'm very open. I'm not one of those people that, you know, won't won't have conversations and, you know, holds my cards close to my best. You know, I'm, I'm always engaging and open in the communities I'm involved in. But I've been actually exploring, you know, what is that going to mean for me in Austin and um, and talking to, you know, other leaders here in the city and what I would love to be doing in the local community is just finding ways to contribute and kind of lift the boats right where I am. So I think the jury is still out on exactly what that's going to look like for me. But um, it's a it's a really important part of the way that I think. And, you know, I know a lot of people in this space, coaches, speakers, consultants, trainers, authors. We're doing this work because it's more than just a paycheck for us. You know, there's there's something deep and spiritual and very calling ish to finding the courage to take this kind of leap. So I know it's something that we all really care about a lot in this space too. And whenever I have these great conversations and am able to kind of, you know, play along with someone else's passion and energy and fuel and support that in some way and find ways to contribute to those conversations, it's very, very meaningful to me. Well, so. and you and I had talked earlier that, you know, you're not one who says, oh, I need to protect all my time. You're always willing to have a conversation with someone who's starting out, whether it's on the marketing side or on the speaker side or the artist side. You're always willing to share with people. And so many people are so worried that, you know, their phone's going to ring off the hook and they're going to have their brain picked to death. You know, but you're always willing to talk to anybody. And I think that, you know, really does into itself have an impact. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what I loved in Nashville is that, you know, I only had a handful of people hire me, actually hire me to be clients. 
but there's a lot of people in Nashville that knew about my work and, you know, it ended up being good for my reputation, you know, because I was so open about investing in people and having those conversations and contributing and kind of nurturing my own backyard a little bit. So, you know, I, it's important for your reputation, sure, but it also is just so nurturing to your soul, you know, I mean, this is, this is, it is as pleasurable for me to give it as it is for someone to receive it. You know, when I have clients going on and on, oh my God, you know, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Like, I appreciate their gratitude and I definitely accept it and take it in. But I feel just as grateful that they trusted me, you know, and that they were open because sometimes it's hard to be open, especially when we're kind of getting into the weeds a little bit because some of this stuff is scary and sometimes there's a lot of shame that, you know, comes up when we need to push ourselves out there. And, you know, it, it can be, it's, it's not all roses. So I'm honored by their trust. Well, and I can already tell that the Austin community is going to be well served by having you as a local. Aww, so Misty, you. let's say that somebody listened to this and said, I, I got to have more of this lady. How do people find you? How do they find Misty Williams? They can go to my website, marketechu.com, M-A-R-K-E-T-E-C-T, marketechu.com. Uh, you can also find a Marketech U Facebook group. Um, just go to Facebook and search for Marketech U. And on Twitter, I'm at tellmisty. Uh, you can add me on Twitter and strike up a conversation, or um, you can also email me, misty at marketechtoyou.com. Well, thank you very much for being our guest today here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. You certainly are doing a lot of cool things. Thank you, Tom. And thank you to all the listeners. Join us again in a couple of days for another episode. We'll be back. In the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.